Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Um, Easter. What's it all about? Eggs. <laughs> you thinking of your breakfast, Babs? <laughs> okay. Let me, let me read you something, and um, I'm going to go down a route I've never been before. I've prepared something which I thought was great, but the Lord obviously has interrupted. So... We're going to read from Matthew chapter 28. Perhaps you could get a little bass on the mic. It's a bit thin. Thank you. Reading from verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Madeline and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were afraid of him, that they shook so badly they became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, or the women, sorry, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers, go to Galilee, there they will see me. I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word. I want to take you to a place that I suppose for all of us as human beings is an unanswered question. Without a conscious awareness of it, I think every single human being lives with a deficit in their lives. A deficit, I think, which has come out of what I would call separation anxiety. We were created for relationship with God. And try as we do as human beings in our own strength to fix that problem, there is only one person who was ever able to restore what was broken, and that was Christ himself. And that separation anxiety manifests itself in us through fear. And fear, I think, for most human beings is a constant From the earliest stage we can remember, we anticipate all kinds of things happening in the dead of night. Does anybody remember those days? You know, those days we thought things were under our bed. Now all that's under my bed is dust. Not even an Easter egg anymore or even a Christmas present. But children go through that whole phase of being very conscious of their vulnerability. Has anybody got children here? Does anybody like children here? I can pray for you if that's the case. You have to get married first, though, just a caveat there, just in case anyone was confused. Fear has become part of the human condition. So much a part of the human condition, it goes unnoticed. But if you stand back from your life for a moment, you realize, I suppose, like I do, that just about every thought I have, every action I do, every conversation I have, there is that undefined yet consistent reality of fear. I'm frightened that people may misunderstand me. Has that ever happened to you? 
It's quite a terrible thing when people misunderstand you, isn't it? You meant something and they heard something else. What's even worse is that I misunderstand people. Sometimes I listen to the words and not to the sound of their heart and reach another conclusion to the one that they intended me to have. It's a subtext in every conversation. Then there's the fear of being found out. I think for most of us here in this room, we have told the world that we're Christians, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't always live like that's true. In our private worlds, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our interactions, we're probably less Christian than perhaps we pretend or protest that we are. Is that not true? I know that that's true because I say this, I see the sinful nature come to the fore whenever we have a buffet at church. All of those Bible verses about preferring one another or the last shall be first. I think everyone thinks they should be first. And there's usually a cue of very intentional people. We go with a mission. A bit like a Toby Carvery. We have a plan. And I've watched some of you at these uh, buffets and I realize that there is a strategy and an art to the way you fill your plate. Some of you really should teach on this. You should answer questions on this, Dennis, on <laughs> mastermind or something of that kind of nature. How to get the most amount of food on the smallest plate available. We've tried all kinds of things to help you with your gluttony. We've got smaller plates now than we ever have. We even resorted to paper plates which buckle under the weight of the mountain that you believe you need to be satisfied. There's a fear, I suppose, there of missing out. A fear that we won't get what we deserve or what we need. And I think that's a constant reality in most people's lives, is it not? And then, of course, there's the wonderful world of the internet, where everybody's life is better than yours. Now, you may not say that out loud, but sometimes we look at those things and we think, I wish I was in Barbados over Easter. Wouldn't that be nice? Come on, tell the truth. And don't you have that slight green kind of feel around somebody who just might happen to have made it? I remember looking a couple of months ago at um, another kind of situation on the, on the television where there was, uh, the pandemic was starting to rise again. And I was quite pleased that people didn't get their holiday. <laughs> I mean, quietly. I wouldn't say it out loud. I would I wouldn't declare that, but I thought, good on you, because I've missed mine four times. <laughs> now, don't pretend you don't think these things or feel these things. I know you. The other day when I was watching the news reports on flights coming in and out of Heathrow, I did feel a little smug, I must confess. I thought, stop laughing, please. I thought, Birmingham the unseen city doesn't have the same problems as Gatwick and Heathrow and Manchester. Thank you, Jesus. Because on Tuesday, my family and I fly out to Turkey. It's amazing how much you want the airports to work when it's involving your holidays, isn't it? But in all kinds of ways, through all kinds of experiences in life, we are left with this feeling that if we don't make it happen for ourselves, nobody's coming. 
We've just got to do what we've got to do to get where we need to go. And actually, that whole reason for living is based on fear. Fear that somebody somewhere won't notice how special I am. Fear that I might not make everything of my life that I actually think I could. That's one of my big things at the moment. I look back over my 28 years of existence and think, could I have done this? Stop, Mike, please, stop. You're not far behind me. <laughs> Just because black don't crack. Don't think we don't know your age, brother. <laughs> we know your age. We know your age. And I think, could I have done it better? Would I have made different choices? Do you ever do that? Is there anybody over 25 who does that? I think when you're up to 25, 30, you think you're making all the right choices. And even when people tell you you're not, you still believe you are. Isn't that the truth? And then it tips. It's called a midlife crisis. I'm hanging on to my midlife crisis. I'm going to have a midlife crisis till I die, I think. It, it excuses all of my bad behavior. So fear is at the center, it's at the core of every human heart and experience. And I think where it turns up the most is probably in relationships. There's something about a relationship that highlights our insecurities. Have you ever noticed that? And um, I think the reason for that probably is that we are more exposed through intimacy than we are through anything else. And when people see us as we truly are, not how we present ourselves to them or as we truly are, what we really discover is that they actually start to see the cracks and the flaws in our personality and our behavior. I was shocked when I married Jane. I mean, when I married her, she, for the first few months, maybe a year or so, I, I thought she woke up every morning looking glamorous. <laughs> the fact that she was up an hour before me, didn't, I didn't twig. I didn't twig that at all. It didn't enter my head that something was happening. I just thought she went to bed immaculately. She woke up immaculately. And in stark contrast to that, I looked like a crumpled sheet. <laughs> I had marks on my faces I didn't have when I went to bed. I ended up sleeping in <laughs> varieties of positions and woke up with wrinkles I didn't even know existed. My, I remember waking up one morning having three lines. I was convinced she scratched me in the night. <laughs> she saw my beauty and she just went like that out of jealousy. <laughs> Alas, it wasn't true. It was just a crease. <laughs> a crease. It's frightening when people see you as you are. Not your Sunday best. Not your spiritual persona. Not the person you want the world to believe you are, but the person you truly are. It's quite scary, isn't it? And I think we have that moment, or many moments, where we think, will they stay? Will this continue? How long can we continue this relationship when they actually see me for what I am? Those are scary moments, aren't they? All of that... All of that fear that drives the human heart causes people to go out on a Friday night to Broad Street and try and forget through all kinds of means 
the pressures of living in a world where you're examined in every which way possible to see if you're worthy. People aren't drinking alcohol, they're escaping reality. And more importantly, I think they believe that if they get enough of that kind of experience, it will give them a life, it will give them a sense of vitality and joy. If you pause with me for a minute and think about the amount of places and spaces that are filled with people searching for security and thinking they will find it by popularity or acceptance from the masses. And yet the truth is, because we have a fractured relationship with God, there is no human being, no context, no substance, no affirming word that anyone could ever speak that would ever, ever give us the security that every human heart is searching for. And look at this phrase. It says here, The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. In this particular sentence is the answer to the separation anxiety that exists in the human heart. I've noticed something about God when he interacts with us through the scriptures, particularly when he's introducing himself to people for the first time. He adds this phrase, do not be afraid. When Jesus turned up in our world and the angels announced his coming, this is what they said. Do not be afraid. Fear not. There is something about that separation that exists in every human heart that we are frightened to death that if we ever really met with God, the one who is pure and the one who is perfect, the one who lives the very life that we all pretend we're living, Actually, something terrible will happen to us, but that's not the case. Because Jesus came to take away your fear and to fill your heart with love. Jesus came so that you should never doubt your value and your worth. Jesus came that no matter what or however or however many people tell you otherwise, you are loved and you are the beloved of God. Jesus came and died on a cross so that you would always have that reminder written in blood and sweat and tears that you have significance, that you are important, that you have a value, so much so that God gave his only begotten son to win you back, to win you back from fear. The second part of this sentence says this, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus. I just felt the Holy Spirit quicken me here because this wasn't the sermon I was going to preach. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, that is really the thing everyone is insatiably searching for. They just don't realize it. I remember once, a number of years ago, going on um, a retreat. I was actually one of the speakers at a retreat for uh, a group of people called Teen Challenge. And they work with people with all kinds of addictions from all kinds of walks of life. And I remember this gentleman came. I can't even remember his name. But he, he actually shared something that changed my life. And he began to talk a little bit about the nature of addiction and how people get involved in substance abuse. And how what starts out with something that just takes the edge off life actually takes life away altogether. And that there's a crossover point whenever people think they're in control and then suddenly the 
that the substance is controlling them. In fact, the whole world revolves around receiving or getting or finding that substance on a day-by-day basis. And you know, addicts come in all shapes and sizes. Some of them have jobs and nice cars and function quite well. But this particular group of people, they had got to the point where their addiction had destroyed everything in their life. There wasn't a thing left, family, friends, community, homes, jobs, careers, everything was lost because the addiction had taken over their life. That very thing that at one point brought a sense of ease to the concern of the human heart was now beating those people to death on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. And this gentleman went on to talk about the two types of substances that people get connected to. They are categorized by uppers and downers. And if you don't know the difference between the two, a downer is a spliff. I know none of our friends here would ever have or ever experienced anything like that. But for the benefit of your friend who couldn't make it this morning, a spliff relaxes, it takes away the pressure, it eases the pain and the torment, and it's a bit of escapism, and there's a number of substances that work like that. They take you down to a place of melancholy or peace or fake peace or whatever you want. And then there's uppers, those are things like um, heroin and, and um, cocaine. They take you into an outer body experience. And as he was sharing all of this, I listened with intrigue because I think both those things are what the human heart is searching for. We're searching for a life beyond the natural. We're searching for something more. We're searching for the exceptional. We're searching for the extraordinary. Can anybody say amen to that? And don't deny that because God placed that in you. God gave you a fascination for something that was beyond the realms of human reason. You were created to be drawn towards the spectacular. And the other part of it was peace. That sense that it's going to be okay, that it's going to be all right, that somehow in some way, those two substances, and quick as a flash, the Holy Spirit said to me, people are looking for, they're looking for me, the God who is exceptional. The God who is supernatural. The God that can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And the God who is the Prince of Peace. The God that makes a soul say, it is well with my soul. This separation anxiety that was created through the fall, the breaking of a relationship between Adam and God has actually led the world astray. We have been searching over and over again to find and reconnect with the one who is life itself. The one who can give to us all that is required for us to feel fully engaged, fully alive and fully awake in this world. That's why Jesus in John 10.10 says this, I came here so that you should have life and life in all its fullness. And that's why religion is fake because it doesn't give you life and life in all its fullness. It gives you a near life experience but death has a grip on you because it's about rules and relationships, regulations and routines. But Jesus didn't come to give us that. Jesus came to give us life. The very thing our fearful hearts were searching for 
in all the wrong places can only be found and satisfied in relationship with Jesus Christ. For I know that you are looking for him. For I know that you are looking for him. Now, people tell me all the time, Pastor Simon, I mean, they don't know my first name. It's not Pastor, it's Simon. They say, Pastor Simon, people just want to go and have a good time. People just want to forget their problems. People just want to escape. Yes, they do. But what are they escaping from? Fear. From that gnawing sense in the human heart that if I don't do something about my life, it's going to be taken from me by all kinds of circumstances. Do not be afraid. Jesus has risen. It's not even that Jesus has died. Do not be afraid because Jesus has risen. In other words, everything you were frightened about, he has resolved it. Everything that drove you, that led you, that stirred you, that created all this around you, he has resolved it. He is risen. He is alive. And if he is alive, that's a sign to you that you also can be made alive. I know that you're looking for Jesus. In the worship, I'm looking for Jesus. In the sermon, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm not always switched on to that. In the conversations I have with my family, if I'm really honest, what I'm looking for is Jesus. In the interactions I have with the world around me, what my heart really is searching for, without words or able to put some kind of hanger or clothes around it, is the raw reality that God is here. He is amongst us. He is with us. By his spirit, we bear witness to that truth. On Friday night as we were worshiping, a number of people coming. What a great meeting. What was the difference with that meeting? He was here. We came looking for Jesus. When we come looking for Jesus, he will be found. He will be found. He wants to be discovered. He wants to be found. Goodness knows. He demonstrated his availability to every human heart by dying on a cross on Calvary. God wants to be seen. God wants you to know him. God wants to be with you. Jesus, Emmanuel amongst his people, where two or more, doesn't even need a crowd to impress him, where two or more are gathered in his name, in the midst he shall be. You are looking for Jesus. I am looking for Jesus. I believe the world, without realizing it or recognizing it, is also looking for Jesus. For there is a longing in the human heart to be with him and to know him. It says that God has set eternity in the hearts of mankind. There's a place and a space we've tried to fill with anything and everything. Seeking satisfaction and freedom and liberty and joy. But there is only one, one freedom fighter that has broken the curse of sin. And has invited us into relationship with him. His name is Jesus to the glory of God the Father. And he came for you and he came for me. He has, he has risen. 
You don't need to live in fear anymore that you're not good enough. You don't need to live in fear anymore that people will let you down. Surely you know by now people always let you down. But there is a God who is a rock upon which you can stand. A place that you can live that's secure. That is not temporal but eternal in its nature. It doesn't have a day where it's good or bad. It is permanently a reality and a safe house for you and me to live in. It's called the heart of God. Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. And the writer here, Luke, sorry, Matthew, puts this phrase in there, who was crucified. In other words, I think when the world thinks of Christ, generally there would be two events in the timeline of Jesus' life that draw particular attention outside the church and more importantly inside the church. The first one is the birth of Jesus. The second one is the death of Jesus. But by stark contrast to those two points in Jesus' life, the, the reality for us is neither his birth or his death. What is really important to the Christ, to the church, to the Christian is that he has risen. And today we celebrate that. That's the beginning of everything. Because if he has risen and new life is available, it's available to you and it's available to me. And every time you have changed or been transformed or you are walking in freedom or liberty or you have a word from God that brings clarity, that's evidence to you that he is risen. He is not crucified anymore. He has risen from the dead. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on the cross. He's alive. He's alive and he's coming again. And he's coming again in glory. And so don't look verse 6. Don't go looking in the grave of your past. Don't go digging in the depths of human culture or the tomb of society. He is not here. But he lives and he rules and he reigns in every heart that makes itself available to him. For me, I believe as a Christian, I don't have to wait to Resurrection Sunday to celebrate resurrection power. I believe that moment where Jesus conquered death and sin was a reminder to the universes of his lordship, his sovereign power, and his ability. I believe in that moment when Jesus rose from the dead. I love this phrase. He took captivity captive. I love Jesus. Everywhere he goes, he brings life even to hell. <laughs> he took captivity captive. It teaches me something about how God maneuvers and, and manifests himself. No matter how bleak the day, there is treasure to be found. If I'm going through hell, I'm going to take captivity captive. I'm going to come out of that experience with something that's been hidden for me, not from me. But for you and for me as a Christian today, the power isn't in the songs we sing. 
Not even the words that I speak. The power is in the fact that he has risen from the dead. You, my friend, are a walking evidence that the resurrection is real. Because you as a dead person could not make yourself alive. It's just Christ in you that is the hope of glory in your heart. How can a dead person raise himself? But Christ who has been risen by his spirit has raised you with him. And you are alive. So alive, you don't need to fear. So alive, you don't have to keep searching in all the wrong places for all the right reasons. Those unquenchable thirsts in your human soul were given to you by God so that he could satisfy them. And only he can satisfy them. He is alive and you have, have and are being made alive. But one day when you meet with him, you will be fully alive because you will be like him. And there's no death in Christ Jesus. Now, there might be parts of your life that look like they're dead, but you know, because they are um, dark areas of my soul anyway, where I feel that God doesn't want to be, I've started to learn something about him. I have to let him in to those places if I want them to have resurrection life. I don't come to church and put my best face on because he sees my bad heart anyway. <laughs> Amen? He sees it and he says, come. He sees the brokenness, he says, come. He sees the sin and he says, come on. It is finished. I have risen. Yeah? And, and I think the devil does a trick on us. I think if we have those parts of our lives, we try and stay away from God. Worse still, we try to manage him. Have you ever tried to manage God? I mean, I can't manage myself. I have no hope of managing God. He's everywhere, <laughs> up to all kinds of things. Come see the place where he lay. Today, on Easter Sunday, with all the best will in the world to come here with a fancy sermon on resurrection power, the Spirit of God, who is alive, quickens my heart to talk about such matters. It's not an eloquent sermon by anybody's standards. It probably, for some of you who are well rehearsed with church, is lacking quite considerably. But the Spirit of God is here to tell you, you don't have any more to live in fear. Fear of man, fear of failure, fear of missing out, fear of not being good enough, fear of not making it, and fear that you're just not the person you should be to accommodate the plan and the purpose of God. Let's bury fear today under the power of the resurrection. Amen. What you're really looking for is Jesus. Stop looking everywhere else. Stop going all over the world trying to find something you already have. In the Old Testament, when prophecy came, it came upon a person God came upon a person for a purpose. In the New Testament, when prophecy comes, it comes within a person. It's perceived within. It's not coming from above. You and I have the risen Christ living inside of us. You and I have all that's pertaining 
to godliness and spirituality. You and I have the king of glory residing in my mortal frame. You and I have the one who is risen, even though I feel dead. You and I have the God who has abundance, even though I live in lack. And you and I have the God who has finished it all, even though I keep trying to work it out. You and I are given this opportunity to be raised with him in his glory, that we may live in a place not of superiority, but of his finished and completed work because he is risen. You and I will be risen too. And fundamentally, when we meet him, that will make far more sense than it does currently. He's not in the grave. He's not in your past. He's not in the culture. He's not in the climate He's not in your circumstances in the way you think he is. He is alive. He is risen. I can point to the place and the time and the moment that I gave my heart to Jesus. But I still as yet do not fully realize the impact and the fullness of the blessing. That that choice to just turn my face towards him. And to breathe in the presence that was so pure and so powerful, it changed everything. I have not yet fully understood the impact that that has had on my soul. Who would have thought that all those years ago, just receiving Christ as your Savior would change your whole life in such a way that it's almost unrecognizable. The only thing left for me about the past is the photos of the people I hung out with. Why? Because the risen Christ has come and he who is alive and has risen has raised me. He's raised me as his son. He's raised me so I can receive an inheritance. He's raised me to the life that Christ Jesus has provided for me. And today on Resurrection Sunday, you need to remind yourself if he is alive, you are also alive in him and with him. Stand to your feet, please. I prayed a dangerous prayer about a week or so ago. Just close your eyes for a second. My prayer went a little like this. Lord, I have seen great things in the past. I've watched how you've healed the human soul beyond recognition. How you've fixed broken parts of human bodies. And in that moment of prayer, the Holy Spirit said to me, and you were so available, Simon, for me to use you. And I said, God, please do it again. Please do it again. Please do it again. I have heard of your glorious deeds, oh God. Renew them in this hour. Renew them, Lord.
Jesus, I thank you that you broke the power of fear. That separation anxiety that has in many ways destroyed our liberty and our freedom to live the life that you have provided for us. And even as Christians, God, it seems to linger. It seems to have a dominant way of guiding and leading and deciding for us how we live our lives. And it's near on impossible to live in fear and expect joy, but we do. God, we need you to break in. Break in on us, God. Whatever kind of fear we have, and there's many nuances to fear, the root of the problem is that we feel or have learned to behave like we are separated from God. Our sin did separate us from God. But Jesus, you have restored everything that was lost. Everything the first Adam lost, the second Adam, Jesus, gave back to us. So I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to be frightened, Lord. When I wake up in the day, am I good enough? Will I do enough? Even now, God, I'm challenged with that because I feel I could have said fancier things, cleverer things. But Lord, there are people here today whose lives are being driven by fear, and it's so sinister, God. It's made them do all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons, Lord, and the end result is they find themselves like a dog tied to a stake back where they started. Father, I pray in Jesus' name you would break fear in this house. Break it over our minds. Break it over our hearts. Why don't you lift your voice and pray? Fear that people won't like us. We're not enough. Fear that we won't make it. Fear that we'll miss out. Right now, in Jesus' name, I take authority over the spirit of fear, Lord. You have said to us, Lord, that we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And Father, I take authority over any spiritual nuance where I'm living from my old man reality. I ask right now that you would bury that in the precious name of Jesus. You would cleanse me and heal me with the blood of Jesus Christ and Lord, this new covenant, this new and living way, you would open it up for me. Lord, I declare over each heart, over each life, a season of liberty, a season, Father God, of joy, pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing joy. Father, I pray that this community would grow in their capacity to be fully alive. Father, everything that creates death, just kill it off in Jesus' name. And Father, you who are alive, you whose son is fully alive, make him, Father God, the center of all things, that we may be alive also. For you are raised to life. You're not just raised from death, you are raised to life. Put your hand on your heart for me, would you please? Jesus, without realizing it, without really fully comprehending it, what every human heart, what my heart has always longed for, always desired to experience, was you. And I, like most people, have tried to find substitutes and counterfeits for you. I've even been satisfied with, for seasons, Lord God, with a lesser reality than the fullness of your presence. Forgive me, Jesus. 
because nothing compares to you, Lord. Forgive me for things that have grown up in my life that may be idols, that are getting in the way of me seeing you. I pray this prayer, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we may see you fully, Lord, as we are fully seen by you. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth, God, beyond our human capacity, that is supernatural capacity. Come upon your church, Lord God, where we are caught up with you in adoration and exaltation. Father, where the Spirit is in control of everything. We love to say you are Holy Spirit, but actually we're tying you down in so many ways. We're, we're a little bit... We've got our little tiny bits of stuff that we think you have to do in a particular way. Would you forgive us, Holy Spirit? Will you be the Lord of our lives, Holy Spirit? Will you be the one who leads, the one who guides, the one who, who offers, the one who increases, the one who explores our capacity for the fullness of God? I don't want to just talk those things, Lord. I don't want to just sing those things. I want to live those things. I know that you're looking for Jesus. My prayer is that every scale on everyone's eyes in this room and those who listen to this beyond this room would fall right now. The scales of disappointment, disillusionment, hurt, pain, those things that restrict your capacity to see. I pray right now in Jesus' name, every one of them would be gone and God would open your eyes. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation come and fall upon this house. Lord, may we see you as you truly are and worship you. Worship you with abandonment, Father. As for me and my house, let us lay ourselves down before you and say, God, this is our King. This is our Lord. This is the one who has saved, the one who is healing, and the one who has raised us to life with Christ. Lord, let every other thing be a lie, Father, but this one thing be true, that I was created to know you and to live in relationship with you and to find you and be found by you, God. Your word even says, Lord God, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will accomplish great things. Much fruit will happen in your life. Lord, all the counterfeits right now in Jesus' name, expose them for the liars that they are, Father. All the things that seek to vie for our attention, Lord, we, we cut them off, Father God. Those, those spiritual forces that seek to bring all kinds of good reasons for living a bad life, Lord. I, in Jesus' name, cut them off, Lord God. Give us eyes to see the truth of who you are, God. Give us hearts that are expansive enough to embrace your resurrection power. And Father, give us lips that confess our need and our desire for you, God, consistently, Father. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Now just grab someone's hand, would you please? If you're near someone, if you're not, just move to do so. Don't worry, I believe in this sacred moment that you will be fine. But if you do feel uncomfortable about it, don't do it. But don't be uncomfortable because you feel awkward. Be uncomfortable because you're a little bit unsure of the COVID thing. We stand here today as a body of people, Father, that know this truth in our heads, but desire it to have so much more impact in our hearts. He is risen. If we don't get this, Lord God, what we've got are a set of words and a couple of programs that sometimes we manage to hit on that are good. But if I could live with the reality that he is risen, then I too will know that I am risen with him. And Father, my posture and my attitude and my perspective on all things will be radically transformed.
The Apostle Paul says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all dominions and powers and authorities. That's that you are raised with Christ to heavenly places. Father, today, let those words be more than words or just a scripture that we recite or or rehearsely say. Father, let them be the reality of our lives. I say over this house, over these people who are risen with Christ, arise, shine, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen on you. I say over this house, away. Awake, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Father, I pray that the glory of the latter house will far surpass its former glory. Father, I declare war in the heavenlies, Lord God, over the demonic forces that seek to contain and restrict what you want to do by your spirit. Father, I say, swing wide the gates, let the king come in. Open up the heavens, Father, pour out your spirit upon your people. For today on Resurrection Sunday, you desire that we are more than just convinced that these things are true with words. You desire that we are living in the fullness of resurrection power. And all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. Church, God bless you. Have a wonderful Easter weekend.